I get back to my cabin and they're literally, you know, climbing the walls and I'm ready to climb the walls. I can't handle this. Mm. Right then I get a knock on the door and Henry says, Curtis, my kids are driving me crazy. Can we pray about it? And I knew right then that God had answered a prayer I hadn't made. And I knew not only was God real, but he cared about little old me. This is Camus. And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big, miraculous ways, all the way down to small, everyday things. Hi, this is Camus. Welcome to this week's episode of God is Real, God is Good. And this week I have Curtis here with me, and I've known Curtis since pretty much forever. I just always remember knowing Kathy and Curtis. Um, Kathy is his wife. She was on here in a earlier episode almost a year ago now and so they were here and there because they were missionaries in Mongolia but they're back in Idaho now so yeah Curtis agreed to do the podcast so that was a real blessing um we're gonna pray and then he'll tell you about where he grew up and his religious background and just tell his story all right so dear father in heaven thank you for this beautiful day and thank you for Curtis's willingness to share please be with him give him the words to speak and help our hearts to be open to hearing what you have to teach us through his stories. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Curtis, why don't you tell us where you are from? That's a hard question because, well, I was born overseas. I was born in Nigeria, and my parents were missionaries there, but I was five years old when they came back to the States. Mm. So, yeah, asking me where I was from is a little bit different. Lived for a while uh, in Monument Valley, Utah. They lived in Oklahoma for a year, and eventually they moved to Central California because both my parents grew up in California. So I basically grew up in Central California. Okay, fair enough. And then why don't you tell us a little bit about your religious background growing up? So I was uh, raised in a Seventh-day Adventist family, but it really didn't become real to me. Well, let me back up. I was... Um, when I was nine, they had an evangelistic series, and this happened to be in Oklahoma, and the preacher gave a really good fire and brimstone sermon. I'm like, you know, I really don't want to be on the outside of the holy city. I'd prefer to be on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I had a real experience with God then, but I can't say it lasted, although it made a difference in my life then as a young kid. But then we moved to California, and that wasn't so good. Mm. So I sort of went through life being a, uh, well, I'll be honest, I was a know-it-all. <laughs> but I had a twin brother who knew more than me, and, you know, we, we did not necessarily treat each other very well. Mm. Um, yeah, we argued and fought like cats and dogs. Of course, you, you couldn't touch him or I'd take you down. But yeah. other than that, we beat up on each other. So, But God preserved me from making poor choices. And as I got into academy years, I recognized that the friends that I spent a lot of time with, we were actually on diverging paths. And mm. I didn't really understand it, but I, I just felt that God was keeping me from making poor choices. Yeah. And then um, when my senior year came, my brother started having a walk with God, and I didn't have one. And I wondered about that, and I sort of wanted something different, but I didn't know what to do. Yeah. But then some things happened, and, and uh, what it really was is God answered prayer, even prayers that I hadn't really made. So let me explain it this way. I had a couple classmates who had worked at summer camp the year before, 
And I thought, oh, that'd be really cool. But I have a problem. That is, I'm kind of a procrastinator. <laughs> and so, you know, normally if you're going to apply for summer camp, you need to apply like in January and uh, or late December. Yeah, so me around about March or so, the end of March, I'm like, yeah, maybe I should do this. So I apply, and of course, they've already hired everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, okay, Lord, if you want me to work at summer camp, you'll have to work it out. Because, you know, I'm really kind of late, and that's about all that my prayer was. Yeah. And so, obviously, nothing was happening. So I was working at the time doing uh, yard work. I did lawn for the church that I went to, and I did other people's lawns. And so I was lining all that up for summer. So, like, that's how I'll have to make a little money towards college. So I get it all lined up. Graduation comes and goes. And a week after graduation, they call up and they say, we'd like Curtis to come to summer camp. I was like, um, okay, I've got to, like, you know, uh, cancel all my work stuff. So I kind of begged off saying, you know, you got to give me a week to deal with my work. Mm-hmm. I was like, huh, God must have some plan. And so anyway, I found myself working at summer camp. And so, thankfully, having been taught how to work hard, I quickly became fairly trusted. And they finally asked me, so what do you want to do rather than just being general staff? And I said, well, I'd really like to try my hand at counseling. So they put me in a, as a counselor at cowboy camp. Now, you know, when I first met you guys and you were small, the thing that I remembered was that you had horses. So that's about as close as I'd come to, like, being a cowboy, you know. <laughs> So I did not know what I was doing. And, I, and any horse worth its salt knew that as well. But um, <laughs> what was interesting is every summer camp, you will always have these kids that they get dropped off for the summer at the summer camp. And they're a problem because their parents really don't want them. And they know they're not wanted. And, and so, you know, they have behavior issues. And, of course, I had one of those mm -hmm. in my first week. And I'm just like, well, what, what do I do? I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm praying my way through that week. That and, you know, the fear of dealing with animals that outweigh you like six to one or more. And uh, I survived. And so they kept me in counseling, doing counseling with kids. And it got more towards the end of the summer. And they had what's called the the little kids camp, the youngest camper so i had 10 of these guys i mean i actually had two guys on cots on sleeping bags because the cabin was clear full mm -hmm. these little kids and so you know the thing is summer camp the idea is is that you are sharing jesus with these kids well i didn't i knew all about jesus but i didn't really know him myself mm -hmm. and yet here i'm supposed to be sharing jesus with them and something had happened over the summer because i'm supposed to be doing this i found myself reading my bible mm -hmm. and God was becoming more and more real to me. And anyway, so I get to this week with all these little campers and, you know, they're little boys, full of energy, running around. And beginning of the week, I'm kind of keeping up with them. By the middle of the week, I'm tired. By <laughs> Friday, I'm just like dragging. Yeah. And of course, they set up the programming, especially on Friday night, because they want the children to make a decision for Jesus if, if they haven't. So it's carefully planned. It's choreographed it's supposed to be designed that they're going to be subdued and be able to you're able to talk to them about spiritual things well it didn't work not that their programming had issues but my kids were just wired <laughs> and so 
I get back to my cabin and they're literally, you know, climbing the walls and I'm ready to climb the walls. I can't handle this. Mm. And right then I get a knock on the door and Henry, I forget his last name. He was a camp, uh, counselor next door. And he says, Curtis, my kids are driving me crazy. Can we pray about it? And right then flashing into my, my mind was a verse I had read earlier in the week. And it's Isaiah 65, 24. And it says, before they call, I will answer. And while mm. they're yet speaking, I will hear. And I knew right then that God had answered a prayer I hadn't made. And I knew not only was God real, but he cared about little old me. Mm. And that changed my life. I had other experiences that year and later, later years working at uh, that summer camp where it just sealed in my mind, God cared about me. And it, it changed my life. Yeah. So that led me to make different choices in, in uh, my college career. I was like, okay, I started out in, in uh, college as a biology major. And I was like, after a quarter of that, I was like, do I really care which way blood flows in a frog's heart? Not really. Um, I was thinking, you know, I probably want to work with people. My mm-hmm. father's a physician. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'll do anything but that. But then he's like, well, why don't you look at nursing while you figure out what you want to do? So I took nursing, and my actual real uh, first nursing um, clinical after the initial ones was in pediatrics. And I love pediatrics. So yeah. I was like, hmm, this, is, this is good. But I had some experiences that, that second year of nursing in that, um, again, God showed me something, and it worked this way. So in nursing, you know, most of the nurses are females, and there are some males. And I, I had some old school nursing instructors. They didn't like that I was a male a nurse. And one of them, I won't say her name because she might still be alive. Um, <laughs> but anyway, she did two things. She, she didn't like that I was a male. Um, and the other thing she said is, I don't give A's. Well, I took that as a challenge. Ugh. I actually ended up missing an A by one point. But I was at the top of the class. But we quickly discovered because we would call her things like Miss Fussbucket or whatever. She was very much on germ theory and, you know, don't do anything wrong, which is good things to learn if you're a nurse. Mm-hmm. We quickly learned that if we wanted to get out of her sight, please ask for the isolation rooms where people have infectious diseases because she was not going to go in there. <laughs> but then I had this rotation on the cardiac unit. Mm-hmm. And I get to this unit and I had this Korean nurse who was going to be preceptor. And I tell you what, she everything I did was not acceptable. It didn't matter if it was right or not. It was always wrong. Mm. The thing is, is, I had made it a habit of praying every morning and saying, Lord, help me be a blessing today to whatever my patients are. Go with me. Go before me. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And so everything I did was wrong in, in this nurse's eyes. And it didn't matter. She made me redo charting, so on, so on. And I mean, I had to redo everything. So along comes mid-afternoon, and here comes my nursing instructor. And so she says to me, how's it going, Curtis? And I said, actually, it's going pretty well. And that nurse's jaw literally dropped. She could have picked it up off the floor. And I recognized right then that she'd been trying to destroy me. And because God was with me, I was untouchable, in a sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, again, I, I recognized God is with me and if i choose to walk with him it doesn't matter what happens it's not that life isn't uh it is always easy it's not yeah but i knew that god would 
walk with me and go with me. Mm-hmm. I had another experience later on. I finished that two-year program, which took me almost three and a half years because I changed majors. I was working as a nurse at this time. Now I was at Mama Linda. And then um, I was working on getting my bachelor's degree. But I was having some, a spiritual struggle at that time. And it had to do with the, you know, the idea that we're to be perfect, which is, a, is an ideal we're given as Christians. As Jesus said, be there for perfect, even your Father in Heaven is perfect. Yeah. But I'd missed the point of it's not because I am perfect. It's because Jesus is, and he works within me. Mm-hmm. So I remember this one time. My parents were still living in Central California, and I decided to go up to visit them. It's about a six-and-a-half, seven-hour drive. I'd gone up there, and I was still driving the old family uh, station wagon. And it needed some maintenance work. needed oil change. And so, for whatever reason, I said, okay, today, Lord, I'm going to be perfect. Now, I, I highly recommend not saying something like that. But anyway. Yeah. Trials will come. <laughs> so I'm going to change the oil. You know, I mean, I've changed it all. I don't know how many times. I'd always done help my dad do maintenance. So, I mean, this is nothing new. So I'm in there, and I'm going to change the oil. And so, you know, I drained the oil. No problem there. I go to take that oil filter off. Well, as you know, you need to have a, a wrench or something. And mm-hmm. I put the wrench on it. And, you know, it's one of those ring wrenches with a handle. You start turning the wrench and the handle gets smaller, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the way it's supposed to work. Well, the handle turned and it just started mashing the oil filter. It wasn't turning at all. It was, it was just collapsing. I'm like, well, that's no problem. I know dad's got a big Phillips screwdriver, you know, one that's about as thick as your little finger. Mm-hmm. That'll be plenty strong. I'll just tap it through. I'll have all the torque I want. So I got a hammer, got that screwdriver, tapped it through that oil filter. I start turning it, and it's just shredding. And about that time, there were some choice words out of my mouth, and I probably banged on the car. I don't know what else I did. Maybe even hit my head. I don't know. But all of a sudden, I get this uh, words in my mind. So how about that perfection? (laughs) (laughs) I was bummed, and I actually was depressed for a while. I'm going to down because... I was looking at my performance as my ticket to perfection and yeah. salvation. Well, guess what? I'd blown it. Mm-hmm. And God used that to get through my little BB brain, I might say, to say, you know, if you're depending on your own goodness to save you, you're sunk. Mm. And, you know, intellectually, I may have understood before, yeah, I have to rely on Jesus, goodness, but I was trying to rely on my own, and it was a miserable fail. And I was really down on uh, for a number of weeks, and I was talking to my pastor back in uh, in one area. I went to a small church, not the not the big university church, and he was trying to tell me, "No, it's actually free grace." And I'm like, "No, no, no, I don't believe in cheap grace." <laughs> so, but I finally finally understood God's grace is not cheap Mm-mm. but it is free yes and when I when that understanding broke into my soul it was like a weight off my shoulders and I was like I've forgotten as as it says in uh, Peter that God has given us everything we need in second mm-hmm. Peter chapter 1. But if we don't have that, it's because we've forgotten 
that God has given us everything mm. and that we've been set free. And so the, the promises in God's word became much more real, like Second Peter 1, 4, mm-hmm. where, you know, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world through lust. And so that made a, dis- a difference in my life. And sometime after that, I, I had opportunities, because I was working as a nurse, I was working night shift, I was... Um, uh, would often be put in uh, as charge nurse, relief charge. They had two charge nurses that were regular, and then when they were off, I was being put in. And I had opportunity to rise up in the ranks, and for some reason I was like, no, give it to this person, give it to that person. I just had a sense, I'm not going to be here that much longer. Mm. And I couldn't say why. And then um, they had a missions conference at Loma Linda that year, and I was like, you know... I think I would like to go as a missionary because now I know what it means to be lost and I know what it means to be saved. I have mm. something to share. And I was I was sharing with people what God had done for me yeah. and what he could do for them. And so you can have this missing conference and I'm uh you know, I work at night, so I don't have much of a social life other than a Bible study I would go to. And uh so I'm like, okay Lord I think I should apply, but I want to know that this is your will, not just because I think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm not going to study the Great Commission. I'm not going to change what I'm studying. I'm just going to keep studying what I'm studying. So I was doing a word study at that time on the abomination of desolation. So, you know, Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation as it's spoken of by the prophet Daniel. This mm-hmm. reader that I understand. So I had my... James Strong Concordance out, and I'm looking through all the texts that have abomination in it. Well, you know what? It was boring. It was really boring. (laughs) (laughs) So I get to Isaiah, and I notice there's something in Isaiah 6, and it was down many verses down. I'm like, this is so boring. I think I'll just start reading. Mm. So I start reading in Isaiah 6, and in Isaiah 6, Isaiah, the prophet, is given a vision of God, and he sees God's holiness and when he sees God's holiness, he's like, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I would dwell among the people of unclean lips. And I'm like, I can relate to that. I know what it means to know God is holy and know I'm not and know I'm lost. But it doesn't stop there. In Isaiah's vision, he says, you know, woe is me, I'm undone. But then an angel grabs a coal from off the altar takes it to him, touches his lips, and says, your sin is forgiven, your iniquity gets purged. And then it says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And when I read that in my mind, God said, go. Mm. And I knew, this is one of three times in my life when God has not audibly spoken to me, but spoken to me in my mind. Yeah. And I knew I was to apply so I did, and I ended up going to the Philippines thinking I would stay there for one year. I had a girlfriend at the time. I asked her to marry me before I left, and um, God had different plans, for which I'm very thankful. So at Christmas time that year, I'd saved up my money because you know, it's on the island of Mindoro, and you know, I was living in among a semi-nomadic people that wore G-strings and lived in grass huts on stilts, and 
Yeah, it was quite the experience. So I saved up my money, and we'll call this girlfriend, fiance. So I went into town, and for $5 a minute, ouch, I could talk to her. So I call her up, and she says, I'm seeing someone else. Hmm. Yeah, that would that, hurt. That, that, was, that was pretty hard. Um, and then, you know, I got some uh, dysentery right after that. Ended up being in the hospital. Got through all that, and you know I had a partner that year who was a as a student. I was no longer a student because I was already a nurse. I had finished my bachelor's degree. I'd been working as a nurse for three and a half years. Mm -hmm. um, so I had paid off all my school loans. I was like, hmm, I don't have a girlfriend or fiance anymore. I have no debt. I don't have to go back to school. Why do I have to go back? Home? Yeah. That is a good question. <laughs> so I didn't. Um, I ended up staying six years. Um, wow. And, you know, I knew from that early call that God wanted me to be there. And so by God's grace, I was able to help raise up a group of believers in the village I lived in and work in other villages. All because God was willing to reach little me. Mm -hmm. Talk to me through his word, through the experiences that I've had, and let me know that he wanted to use me in mission service. And mm. I'm grateful to that. So that's, that's part of my story. Okay. Is there any other stories you'd like to share? Or? Well, I am married to Kathy. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so there I was in the Philippines. So after, like... Four years, my supervisor, you know, they, they were supposed to do a yearly visit, and we kept getting different supervisors. Mm -hmm. So this uh, supervisor was also an AFM missionary. He says to me, so what do you want to do, Curtis? I said, well, I'd like to continue the mission work, but I really need somebody, you know, that we're on the same wavelength that thinks that way. And yeah. I said, but I can't, I can't leave here in, in the Philippines and go back to America to go find a wife. I, it's too much work to do here, and I'm not really interested in marrying a native. It's not that I couldn't, but it's not best because you really need somebody that's more on your same level. Hmm. Uh, you know, I had I had uh, people there say, yeah, you can marry my daughter. I'll give you a water buffalo and you can farm. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love growing things, but, you know, that would not have been so great. Yeah. So... And, uh, and then, of course, there were student missionaries that would come that would help the other missionary families. And I was like, man, they're just getting younger every year. The truth was, you know, I was getting older. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they said, well, we'll put a call out and see if somebody will take your place. Well, they put a call out. Nothing. Mm. Nothing for more than a year. So maybe this was about three, three years in because I was there totally sick. So after about a year and a half, finally they get a call. They get a nurse who's going to take my place. They're like, hmm. And of course, you know, being the youngest in my family and the only one who's not married, all my relatives are trying to hook me up with someone. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm 30 and yeah, so I've got an aunt. I come home on furlough. She's trying to get me to meet this person or that person. I don't want to meet them. You know, and then, then my older brother gets in the act. Well, anyway, so, you know, we have quite the story of how we met. The long and short is, my older brother thought I should meet Kathy. I had no intention of doing that. I said <laughs> no every way I could. We eventually 
met and I was very impressed with her. She was a widow with uh, two daughters. I knew who she was and uh, she knew that I existed about, maybe, hard to say, um, because uh, her uh, late husband's sister is married to my older brother. And mm -hmm. so I had technically seen her at my older brother's wedding because she and her late husband were dating at that time. So I had actually, I actually knew who she was, and that was it. She wasn't interested in meeting me either. But once we met, um, we saw mutual interests and, and things developed. And God, in his mercy, some similar thing, and I can't tell you all the details here, but again, in my mind, when I was struggling with, shall I, shall I marry her or not? God said, yeah. Hmm. And so God has been kind to me in that, and then we were able to, uh, we got married, and I was blessed because I had saved enough uh, funds when I was a nurse. I was able to take a year off without working, being a new, instantly a new father mm -hmm. with uh, two young daughters, and I was able to do that. And then, then I worked for another three years or so as a home health nurse, and then we went overseas again, this time to China, uh, where we were there for five years, and then on up to Mongolia, because we ended up working with Mongolians in China. Mm -hmm. So God has really blessed me in my life with opportunities and it's it's still a journey it is i've been able to make a difference in other people's lives but my life has been changed probably more than theirs in many ways mm. i think that's the blessing of ministry that maybe people don't talk about a lot is that sometimes the people that you're studying with can also be a blessing to you and encourage you in your faith and you can also learn so much from just going over those things and those principles all the time, just remembering the basics of our foundation continuously. Yeah. So that's a, kind of a short version of my story. All um, right. Well, thank you for sharing, Curtis. It's greatly appreciated because we kind of did this last minute and we had technical issues and you were right there trying to help us figure it out. And But thank you for sharing. I really like that. I think that we often forget God doesn't call great pastors, great preachers, great nurses, or healthcare professionals. He calls those that are willing, and he equips them to it. He makes them great. He encourages them, and he refines them. He's the one that blesses them and teaches them the skills to be great. Because if you're already great, he can't really work with you because it's already in your head. You already know it all. But when you're willing and you're able to, and you see your faults, then you're mm -hmm. willing to learn. Yeah, I think the thing that God has really been working on me of late is you think you got everything in hand and you know what? You don't. Mm. <laughs> Life does not go like we think it's supposed to be going. We say, yeah, I got a plan. Here's my plan. God bless it. And he's like, no. No. <laughs> or, yeah, it's your plan, <laughs> not my plan. Or, yeah, Lord, I'm going to be perfect today. And he just kind of laughs at us and he's like, Okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to remind you how sinful you are because you can never be perfect in your own strength. Yeah. It's, it's good to recognize our need because then we see how great God is. Mm -hmm. And as I have told others that I've helped train in mission work, we have good news. But until you understand there's bad news, good news isn't so good. Mm. You know, and there in the, in the Philippines among the traveling with, they... 
they had the idea that there were certain things that were truly bad sins, hmm. uh, like murder, adultery, and lying, but you kind of had to talk to them about that. But they basically would say, don't tell me I'm a bad person because I haven't killed anyone and I haven't committed adultery. Mm. And so I'd say to them, well, okay. So let me ask you. I said, you know, in your culture, if I'm hungry and I come by your hut and I'll ask you, do you have any bowel leftover? Bowel means leftovers. Yeah. You're supposed to give me some, right? And they're like, yes. But I said, if you've got some food on in your uh, pot, and they usually only had one pot anyway, because they were pretty poor, mm-hmm. and you've got some in there, but you don't want to give any to me because you know you're going to be hungry, what are you going to say? And they'd sort of look at me sheepishly with their heads down and say, I'll tell you, I don't have any. Mm. And be like, so, um, so you actually are doing things that you know aren't supposed to be, aren't right. Where does that leave you with, you know, you're a good person? Mm. So, in every culture, we've been given norms, and they, and they all they all come back to God's law. But we have to recognize what the truth is, that all of sin comes short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, no, not one. And once we recognize that we aren't righteous, but Jesus is, and he took place for us. And that leads me, I, I got to go back up and tell you another story that happened at summer camp. So my second year of counseling, they had me in the uh, outdoor camp. They call it 49er camp because I love all things outdoors, backpacking, hiking, whatever. And I wanted to ride a horse and so on. But mm-hmm. so I was now um, working in that camp and had a group of kids. One of them was a, his grandmother brought him up from Southern California because he'd gotten into gangs. and she wanted him out of that. So I knew he had some background in gang stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we did our you know, hiking and backpacking kind of thing. And then Thursday we were supposed to do a water trip and float down the, the river. And to do that, we joined with the aquatics camps. Now the aquatics camps, they're the ones that did the uh, water skiing. And it's a different mix of kids that are there. They tend to be more uh, affluent, kind of spoiled brats, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, so it was a totally different mix. Well, yeah. we get there to go on the bus, and we're a little camp. Aquatics was always big. So I had the bus there, and the bus is, like, packed full. And I've got, I don't know, seven seven boys. No, I think I had five. I didn't have that many. Anyway, the bus is already full. And what I should have done is I should have made some of these aquatic kids move and put all my kids together, and for me, it'd be right with them. No, but instead I had one here, two there, and, and scattered, and I'm sitting way back in the back of the bus. Yeah. And boys being boys, what they do, they were picking on my kids, and I could see this this uh, kid who'd been in the gang stuff, and he was trying to control himself, and I was thinking, you know, I should do something, but I didn't do anything. Mm. And finally, the, the girl's counselor, she was sitting further up. She got up, went to the front, put a stop to it, and I took note of who who was the troublemakers on the bus. And so when we got back from the trip, I myself, I went and found their counselor and talked to him, explained what happened. And we were deciding, you know, what should we do? And we decided, well, we'll have them, they'll have to sweep up the cafeteria as their uh, punishment. So he turns to me and he says, Curtis, did you do anything to stop it? And I said, no. And he got angry at me. And he was about ready to deck me. 
Oh. I said, I said, but I said, but Dana, and this was the girls' counselor. She got up and took care of it, and he he apologized for getting upset. And then, but God did something right there to me then because, you know, I, I was because it was so emotionally intense. I, you know, there was a porta potty outside the the uh, cafeteria, and I just went to the porta potty, shut the door, and I just start crying. And right then, God starts talking to me, and He said, "Look, in the same way that Dana did what you didn't." should have done. This is what my son did for you. You failed, but my son didn't. And he took and did what you were supposed to do Hmm. and took your place. And I recognized right then, again, this is what Jesus did for me. He took my failure and he did a perfect obedience. Hmm. He paid that price that I cannot pay. And he took the penalty that would kill me. Hmm. And it allowed it to kill him. And it broke my heart. It truly broke me open. And I recognized, to some degree, what Jesus did for me, and it changed my life more. So each of those things has, has changed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I, you know, what I got to share today in, in, in my sermon, if we will truly see how great God is and how much he loves us, it changes us and that will change others. Because mm-hmm. we're not the great people we think we are. And it's okay that we're not perfect because we have a great and loving savior who is willing to come in and save us and change us. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you, Curtis. I really liked your stories. I think it's important to remember that, you know, we do have a great savior and, you know, we can't find protect- perfection on our own. It's, Christ working in us and how he answers a lot of our prayers before we even have words to say them. Yes. God is good. Amen. God is good. God is real. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in to listen. Tune in next week for Kylie recording somebody else. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page. That is God is real. God is good podcast. Or you can email us at God is real, God is good podcast at gmail.com. Bye! Bye.